Thank you for so enthusiastically singing that song. Thank you, Delbert, for the way that you have led us in worship this morning. I invite you to open a Bible with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. We have just sung, reminding ourselves of a variety of scenes from Jesus' amazing life. And I'd like to draw your attention to another one of those scenes in Mark chapter 5. We will have other passages projected on the screen behind me in just a little while, but I would love it if you would have a Bible open or on and turned to Mark chapter 5 where we will read together in just a few moments. It is so good to be with all of you this morning. Thank you for being here. As Bill mentioned, we have a number of guests with us. Welcome. We are glad that you're here. We want to open God's Word and allow Him to speak to us and shape our understanding and breathe life into us for this week that He is providing. Mark chapter 5 documents one of the most incredible scenes, I believe, in all of Jesus' life. And I would just like to try and put us there this morning. And so I invite you to take yourself out of southern Indiana this morning and place yourself in Galilee, in the northern stretches of ancient Israel. And take yourself out of the 21st century for a little while. We want to lean on Mark, who spent time talking with many eyewitnesses, some of whom were right here in what we're going to be reading in Mark's Gospel. We've got to back up just a little to get the full sense of what is going on. If you see in your Bible there, Mark chapter 4, look at verse 35. As best I can tell, this is where our context really begins. We know that Jesus is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in the city of Capernaum where he spent so much time really as a home base. And Mark tells us in what we have is Mark 4 verse 35, On that day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they left the the crowd and they, they, they put themselves into a boat and there are other boats with them. And we won't take the time to read about that eventful evening. In many ways, we've already sung about it this morning. There is a great storm that arises. And we, 2,000 years later, this morning, have sung, I believe that Jesus stilled storm Galilee. That is exactly what we read about at the end of Mark chapter 4. But In Mark chapter 5, we are told that they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. It is 
a very mountainous area on the eastern slopes of the Sea of Galilee. It is not like what they just left on the northern shore, very gently sloping up, very green typically. This is a very cliff-like area where we've got sharp drop-offs almost right into the Sea of Galilee itself. This was not Jewish territory. You can see on the, the little map that we have there on your outline, this is the northern stretches of a different region, region known as the, the Decapolis, a collection of Grecian cities. And so, in many ways, Jesus is leading His disciples out of their comfort zone. And it is here in Mark chapter 5 and verse 2 that we read an incredible account. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met Him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs, was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Would you walk into this scene with me this morning? And I don't know what it is that you have carried with you into this building. I don't know the vast majority of you how the last week has gone. I don't know what things you have in your heart that perhaps no one knows about. I don't know if you walked into this room full of joy and anticipation or you walked in heavy with guilt and anxiety and uncertainty. I don't know how it is that you are coming face to face with Jesus this morning. But I feel very confident based solely on what we have just read that this Jesus is not shocked or intimidated or stumped by any one of us. I want you to imagine 2,000 years ago, let, let's say in a sense we are, are tourists and we are going through this beautiful area of Galilee 2,000 years later and our, our sightseeing tour has led us over to the eastern slopes of Galilee and we're looking across this beautiful lake. A lake where there are boats going back and forth. There are fishermen we can see a long ways away in the distance preparing their nets from the previous night in anticipation of what is to come. I want you to picture the beautiful green grass that is blowing and, and the sun is beginning to set. And it's just been a great day all around Galilee as we take in all of the sights. But let's say that we've lost track of time. And that sun is setting fast. And we've got to get back to the little inn where we're staying for the night. And, and before we're able to get back to that inn, it's dark. And I mean really dark. We're putting ourselves before the age of electricity. And so there aren't lights from electric bulbs flickering in the distance. It's really really dark and let's say that you and I unwittingly begin to walk through a graveyard now, maybe you find that creepy enough to begin with but as we're walking through that graveyard 
there he is, a man who lives among the tombs. And we didn't hear him until just right now, but he screams in a way that just makes your, your blood curdle. You've never heard a scream like that. And you see broken chains hanging from both of his wrists. Do you know what you would do? I know what I would do. I would run. And I'm guessing you would run too. And when you and I had run as far and as fast as we could, and it became clear real quick, we're not going to outrun this terrifying, tormented man. Do you know what we would do next? We would beg. When we couldn't run anymore, we would begin to beg. But do you know, do you see what this man did? Not in the middle of the night, but in broad daylight when he came face to face with Jesus. He begged. And so again, I don't know what it is that you brought with you, but here's what I know. Whatever is weighing you down this morning, it is not a challenge for Jesus. Whatever it is that you're ashamed of this morning, it is not somehow going to stump the healing, saving power of Jesus. The reason why the Son of God walked among us willingly was to seek and to save the lost. Number two, the demons knew. We've framed it as... This man begged. And it's fascinating if you pay very careful attention to Mark chapter 5, the pronouns, how they switch frequently as this man and what afflicts him is being described. At times it is he, he fell down, he said, he begged. At other times it is they, right? There is something going on here that you and I struggle to understand from our limited point of view. And there are questions clearly that we have that, that we don't have the answer for but right now. But what is the point? The point is abundantly clear. The demons knew and the demons know exactly who Jesus is. Cheat back up a little at the end of Mark chapter 4. Do you see how Mark chapter 4 ends? It ends with a question. That is the context of everything that is going on here. Who then is this? That is what men like Peter and Andrew and James and John are struggling with this. We've been on the Sea of Galilee before. We've been through storms. But who is in our boat that is able to rebuke a storm and suddenly it is calm? Who is 
is this? That even the winds and the waves obey Him. That is what these very real life people are dealing with, grappling with, as we have our Bibles open to Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. And, and they're still not entirely sure by the end of Mark chapter 5. In fact, by the end of Mark's Gospel, we have many who have been with Him for three years. And they are still struggling with their doubts. Who then is this? But do you know who had no doubt whatsoever as to who this was? He's not just Jesus. He's not some sort of, of an amazing human being we don't know what to do with. Look again at Mark chapter 5 and verse 7. They crying out with a loud voice. He, this man, crying out with a loud voice. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They knew exactly who He was. And as Jesus is saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He asks, verse 9, what is your name? And it's clear in that moment that, that he's not just talking to an ordinary human being the way that you and I are today. He doesn't answer with his given name or I am this son of this man of this tribe in Israel. The answer is, my name is Legion. And instantly, everybody in that moment, there's an impression there. A legion is the, the largest unit of a Roman army. When it's fully staffed, 6,000 soldiers make up a legion. Jesus isn't intimidated. He's not stumped. But these demons are terrified. And it's not just in that moment that we get that little glimpse into reality far beyond what our, our feeble human eyes are able to see. James, the brother of the Lord, tells us years later in James chapter 2 and verse 19, You believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. The goal of these demons, destroying this person created in the image of God. And there's been no one able to help this man until Mark chapter 5. Now I want you to keep your hand or your marker there and go back with me to Ephesians chapter 2 toward the end of our New Testament. Until this man, these demons, meet Jesus, he has been tormented. And is in the process of destroying himself, but he meets the one who is able and willing. We spent a little bit of time in our building blocks track of studies this past Wednesday evening. Just trying to soak in the beauty of that phrase. 
able and willing. You might be willing to do something for someone this week, but just not able. You might be able to do something for someone this week, but not willing. That's not Jesus. Jesus is able and willing. To do what? Not to help you move your piano. Not to help you uh, rearrange your furniture. Not to help you mow your grass. No, it is so much bigger than that. It echoes into eternity. This Jesus is able and willing to turn our death into life. Where has this man been? Night and day among the tombs. You know who else? has been, spiritually speaking, among the tombs. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 of the chapter. You were dead. What a powerful parallel to what we're reading in Mark chapter 5. You were dead. I was dead in the trespasses and sins in which I once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You and I need to come face to face this morning with the fact there are realities in this universe that we cannot see with our physical eyes or hear with our physical ears, but they have shaped and pulled and pushed and killed as we presented ourselves to sin and now in our trespasses and in our sins we're not on a sin vacation we are sin dead living among the spiritual tombs just as this man was just as Everywhere we look, so many are living in the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's this man. Tormented and terrifying. But God. That's at the heartbeat of Mark chapter 5. And that is the heartbeat to which we are all being invited to draw near this morning. Dead in our trespasses, living among the tombs, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace. As this little boat sails back northwest toward Capernaum, there can be no doubt this man has been saved by grace. He didn't do this. He didn't figure it out. Nobody else but God. And that is how our eyes are, are being invited to be opened. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming 
ages. Let me ask you this morning, for what are you living? And what are you devoting yourself to that will live not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not 50, not 100, not 200, not 1,000 years from now? Are you in tune with are you investing in, are you giving yourself to something that will resonate in coming ages? What will endure that long? The immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And just to make sure we get it, Paul summarizes it this way, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This man does not go back into the city boasting about how he's got it all figured out. It's not about him. He was Christ's renewed workmanship. And so are you, if you're a Christian. Created in Him for something bigger than your Monday morning job. Bigger than retirement. Bigger than your family tree. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus is able and willing to turn our death into life. Let's go to the Gospel of Romans, or the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 7. Jesus is able and willing to turn our slavery into freedom. And you and I, just like people who lived and interacted with Jesus 2,000 years ago, perhaps are immediately tempted to say, I'm not anybody's slave. Let's listen to what God has presented in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Can I somehow blame God and what He has done, what He has given for the mess that I have made? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. You think that man in Mark chapter 5 could relate to that? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. At times, I'm willing to do what is right, and I don't do it. Can you relate to that? I most certainly can. Verse 19, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep 
on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin. I've presented myself over, and now sin dominates me. So I find it to be a law when I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members. I come to a Sunday morning assembly of worship. But I leave here and in my members, in my own body, perhaps in weeks past, months past, years past, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me, what am I? I'm a slave. I'm captive to the law of sin in my members. Let me ask you, could this man in Mark chapter 5 relate to verse 24? wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's that man in Mark chapter 5. And because of sin that we willfully present ourselves to, that's been me, that's been you. But God, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What do I need? I need a Savior. I need the one who is able to turn slavery into freedom. The one is we turn quickly to Titus chapter 3 in our New Testament who is able to turn our tombs into friends. Even family. What do we mean by tombs? Not only does sin wreak havoc on my life individually, your life individually, it wreaks havoc on our relationships, on marriages, on the relationships of parents with children and children with parents, of brothers and sisters, of co-workers and friends and neighbors. How many tombs of broken relationships could we somehow represent just in this room in our collective past this morning why is that well this is how paul puts it in titus 3 and verse 3 we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Tombs. Everywhere we look. Not just individually, but in our relationships with each other. I might not even know your name, but treat you because of the way you look, the color of your skin, the car you drive, the neighborhood in which you live. It's someone who has no hope and without God in the world. Tombs everywhere we look. But God, 
when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, tombs are transformed into friends. The man who spent day and night among the tombs is told in Mark chapter 5 and verse 19, go home to your friends. And in Christ Jesus, it's not just friends, it is family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I don't know if even within the context of this room, there is spiritual death between you and a brother or sister in Christ. But what I do know is that's not the will of our King. Who gives grace to all that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And as we become those heirs, He turns our despair into mission. The man who had lived among the tombs day and night, crying out, cutting himself with stones, unable to be bound or restrained in any way by any other human being. He is made to sit, clothed in his right mind. He is restored as an image bearer of God. He would like to go with Jesus. And what does Jesus tell him? Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Could we just camp there here at the beginning of this week and make it as simple as that? Maybe you grapple with questions that a lot of disciples grapple with. I, I, I know there are people around me who need this news, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how to start. What if somebody asks me a question that I don't know how to answer? Maybe what I need is Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That's something that I can do. And I believe with all of my heart, that's something you can do. I was struggling to understand what life was all about. But Jesus, that addiction was slowly destroying my marriage. This is my story. But Jesus. For a long time, I was really struggling with selfishness, and it was making my relationships everywhere I looked a tomb. But Jesus, I never thought that I would be able to leave my past behind. I was really worried about bringing kids, raising kids in this world. But Jesus, 
has had mercy on me. I mentioned our building blocks track of studies. We were in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 this past Wednesday evening as, as a simple living example of exactly what we're talking about. You don't have to be possessed by a legion of demons to be struggling with this. Peter, a common fisherman, comes face to face with a Jesus that he cannot explain. The only explanation is God is in my boat and he is moved to say, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. But you see, Jesus is not shocked or intimidated or stumped. Instead, this is the Jesus of from now on. I know who you are. Don't be afraid. From now on. And so I wonder this morning if you are at the brink of a from now on moment. You heard so many this morning sing with confidence, I believe in the one they call Jesus. I believe He stilled storm Galilee. I believe that He walked on the water. I believe in the words of the Bible, how He made the poor blind man to see. I believe that the deaf ears were opened. I believe that He spoke to dead Lazarus and said, unbind and set free. I believe that He reigns up in heaven and I believe that He is coming again. But even as we sung those words this morning, all that you could think about was your guilt and your shame that says to you, you've done wrong. You don't belong. Could I encourage you to set those lies aside? Jesus knows exactly who you are and what you've done. But he is willing to cover your wrongs with his own blood. There is a call that has been issuing for 2,000 years. For any who are willing to take a seat at Jesus' table, by grace you can be saved through faith. As you're willing to turn from your sins and be buried with Christ in baptism, that good news can be your good news this morning. And so as we sing this invitation song, may there be no doubt in your mind that Jesus is not intimidated. He is not stumped. All that stands between you and the healing that He provides is your willingness to come to Him. I am a broken, sinful person, O Lord, but I believe that you are the answer for me. If we can help you in responding to that call, would you let us know how by coming to the front of this room while we stand and sing?